You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's go ahead and pray over the word. Oh God, you're so good. You are God. You are all-powerful. And we submit before you because uh, what else can we do, really? We praise you that you are good. Father, you could have any characteristics that uh, you choose, but you express love, you express goodness. You are the fountain of all things beautiful. We worship you this morning. We come before you saying, you're holy. You're not like this world. You're not like the brokenness that we feel in our hearts. You're set apart. You're different. You're the only source and all else flows after you. We thank you for your inspired word. We thank you for the power that you have uh, placed in the creation of your word through inspiration, through centuries. Thank you for preserving your word so that we can study it and have the honor of of listening to your voice. Thank you, Lord, that Holy Spirit, that you oversee the reading and the studying and the preaching and the following of your word. You're alive. You're the giver of life. You come back from the dead. You are the great God of the resurrection. I pray this morning that as we look at your word that we can enter into a special kind of joy, a special kind of glory, a special kind of a holy moment. We've already tasted it as we can just close our eyes and put our hands in our pocket or lift them to the skies and just say, you're so good. It's so easy to look at our schedules and say, not so good. Uh, Look at our situations in our homes or businesses and say, there's some stuff that's not so good. Uh, Look at our hearts and say, Lord, I wish there was more good. But today we can band together as a family and say, God, you're so good. You're so good, Lord. So again, please, uh, please come with power. Doesn't have to mean loud or dramatic. Could. Sometimes you come with a still small voice and you whisper right down to the very the very marrow of our bones, the very core of our motives, the secret places of our heart. And you feed us and you encourage us and you motivate us and you inspire us and you give us visions and dreams. Oh Lord, light us on fire once again. Keep us ever rekindled. We need it constantly. We're always going out and we need stirred back up. Stir us up this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Our title this morning is How to Return to Joy-Filled Worship. How to Return to Joy-Filled Worship. Uh, Typically, we stand at the reading of of the passage, and I'm not going to make you stand up again. It may be the only time we do this, but um, I'm just going to read part of our passage and then go right into the message. We're in... Ezra chapter 8, listen to this verse, 
At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to God, to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. It's my prayer that the word of God, this word of God, for the people of God, will bless you this morning. What's going on in our study right now? Ezra has finally showed up on the scene. God's people, because of their disobedience, have been in captivity for years and years and years, and a process of repatriation has, has, has been established uh, for decades now. And they've, they've started the rebuilding process and the worship process, and the process is still in motion, and Ezra steps in and says, I want to be part of this process. And he gathers a group of men by a river, a river of Hava or a Hava, depending how you pronounce it. And he proclaims a fast that they might humble themselves before their God. And, um, and then he says, uh, he gathers those men together and says, as we get ready to leave, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. If you look at a map, and if the map is like this and the west is on this side and the east is on that side, you know that the Mediterranean Sea is is kind of an oblong shape, and right on, the, right on the east edge of that sea, that's the land of Israel. And it's, it's, it's centered around the valley, the, the Jordan River Valley. And if you go north along that river valley up to the mountains where the, where the, the headwaters are, you can head east and pick up another river valley. It's the, the valley of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. It's two rivers in one wide valley. And then it goes across over into Persia. Wars, modern wars have been fought there recently. Um, but it's hundreds of miles. And, and, and in this crescent shape, it's called the Fertile Crescent because the, the Valley of the Jordan and the Valley of the Tigris and Euphrates, in this crescent is, a, is just a waste howling wilderness desert. Hundreds of miles away from God's special place, Jerusalem the city of peace, the place where God says, I will establish my true way of worship for this one nation in this season of God's people. And they were disobedient and they rejected the goodness of God. And finally, God allowed uh, foreign enemies to come and, and take them far, far away over into this far off valley and there they had been. And they longed to get back to true worship. Some of them had been born in exile. They had never experienced worship the way God had established for his people at that time. And Ezra, in his heart, said, I want to know the joy of worshiping the Lord according to true worship. And when his chance came, he rose up and he gathered some men and let's, let's be part of the process. And they got beside this river and he says, the first thing we need to do is humble ourselves before our God. The next thing that he did, he says, I want you to, um, I've got like three P's today. We got a lot of alliteration happening today. 
And um, the first one is he proclaims a fast. The next is that he prepares the men, the leaders, and the holy vessels. He sets them apart, prepared for, they actually had the old vessels from the original temple with them. And they wanted to bring them back made of gold and silver and precious metals. And he set them apart and got them ready for the journey. We have a special purpose. This isn't casual. You don't go waltzing across the desert for 100 miles with all these people. We have a holy mission. We need to get prepared for this holy mission. And then he says, I want you to guard and protect these holy vessels. And the good news is the verse that we just read is they made it. They made it. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word they had burnt offerings, my heart just said and go, whoa, amazing goal, victory. It's incredible. Burnt offerings. That's not the way it was for them. When they thought of burnt offerings, finally they were able to get back to the house of God, his holy worship, and go through all of the processes outlined in books of, like books of Leviticus, and they were able to actually sacrifice to their God and, and praise their God. And even generations they had probably had heard, Ezra had probably heard of, of the far off past when they actually could gather around God's house in Jerusalem and offer sacrifices to God. That was their form of worship. That was their expression of praise. That was their reminder that we need blood. Because we're broken. We need atonement. We need purification. At the center of that beautiful, beautiful building was the very presence of God. His special Shekinah glory. What they heard about is very discouraging because it didn't show up in Ezra's day. But they heard about God's special presence. Ezra longed for joy-filled worship. Can, can we admit something as Christians? Do Christians ever feel far from God? Are we just always in this uh, state of, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart? Sometimes my joy is so down in my heart, I don't even feel it. Do we ever, can we admit that sometimes we struggle? Maybe we go through a season where we don't feel the joy of the Lord very much at all. Well, guess what? Ezra was a joy seeker. But Ezra was far away from God's place of true worship, and he longed to glorify his God. He wanted to enjoy his God the way Israel used to do way back before the exile. I want to make a case this morning that God wants us to experience the greatest joy humanly possible. Have you ever come to church and sang songs like, God's so good, God's so good, and then go home and say, God's a judge and he's mad at me. I goofed again and now he's ticked. What is at the very core of God's heart? Does he want us to be joyful? Does God want us to have joy? What is your God like? Psalm 5 says this, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread out your protection over them that those who love your name may exult 
in you. Exalt's not a word we use this after around Christmas time. Sing in exaltation. God wants us to exult in him. He wants us to, to rejoice in him. He wants us to sing for joy. He wants us to overflow with love. He wants you to have joy. Isaiah 35 says, talking about God's kingdom, he says the redeemed, Isaiah 35, 10 says, the redeemed of the Lord will return and enter Zion with singing, listen, crowned with everlasting joy. Does your joy come and go? The day is coming where it will be everlasting joy. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Speaking of the Father's love in John 15, 11, Jesus said this, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy, you know Jesus is a joyful Jesus? You think Jesus is always just kind of this old painting of this shepherd with this kind of beard on, you can't see whether he's smiling or not. Because of the love of the Father, Jesus says, I have joy and my, I want my joy to be in you that your joy may be full. Your God wants your joy not to be half full. He wants it to be full. Yes, God wants his people to rejoice and sing for joy and express love and exaltation. That's what we call true worship. Strong's Dictionary, Strong's Bible Dictionary, defines the word worship with these two words. Do reverence and do adoration. Reverence, adoration. Glorify your God in reverence and enjoy your God in adoration. Listen to how John Piper talks about this. He had this amazing experience. I had a similar experience. Maybe uh, some of you that grew up in the church uh, have said, uh, it's, uh, God's all about joy. He doesn't care how you feel. God's all about his glory, whether you like it or not. You go through the motions of just uh, empty and vain religion, and you start saying, why am I even doing this? I don't feel a thing. Piper hit a wall and he expresses his experience like this. He says, my desire to be happy and God's desire to be glorified were not at odds. Glorifying God and me being happy are not at odds. I found in the Bible that they were in fact one thing. When you enjoy somebody a lot, you show everyone how important they are to you. You ever go up to someone you love and say, I love you because I'm supposed to say that? You gotta feel it, otherwise it doesn't work. Oh God, you're so glorious. You gotta feel it. We get the joy, John Piper says, and God gets the glory. It's one and the same, that's true worship. God calls us to worship him gloriously and worship him joyously. Another uh, preacher, uh, that writes on the internet that I like named Kevin DeYoung says, there's nothing more important in life than worship. We all worship something or someone. The only question is whether we will worship the right way, the right one in the right way. So again, how do we worship God? How do we return 
to joy-filled worship. The good news is Ezra 8 gives us three steps. Step one. Step one. Reading from Ezra 21 through 23, we can go into step one on the slides. And step one is a proclamation, proclaim, fasting for humility and safety. Verse 21 says, Ezra speaking, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since I had told the king, quote, the hand up, no, this is funny. You ever been in a jam like this where you tell everybody you're a Christian, then you have to act like one? He says, I told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all those who forsake him. So we fasted, and we implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. As he gathered those men at the river, the first thing he says is, men, we need to stop and make a proclamation. We need to proclaim a fast. We need to entreat our God. We need to seek the Lord's heart. We need to be humble before our God. You want to get joy-filled worship? There's power in the spoken word. God spoke creation into existence. Remember, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He came forth by the power of his word. And, and Romans calls us as Christians to respond, not just by no response. He says, confess your sins. Have you ever been in a place where you're so far from worship? You're so far from prayer and fasting. You can barely get out more than three or four words of prayer. Do Christians ever get like that? Well, if you feel like that, you're not alone. Just as Ezra was far, far away from God's true place of worship, we today in the New Testament church, we can get far, far away from the Lord and say, first thing, let's do. Can you at least say, he doesn't even start out by saying, let's pray. He proclaims a fast. Can we at least say, in the morning, I'm going to pray. Sometimes we have to pray to pray. Lord, help. Much less fast. I thought about doing an exposition, Joe, on fasting, but give me six months. And we'll work on that. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't joke about that. Um, that's, that's serious. But, but God says, if you want to gather a, gather a core team for ministry, the first thing you need to do is step away from those things that motivate you according to the flesh. Humble yourselves. Acknowledge. He doesn't just say, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. He says, we implored the Lord for safety on this trip. Have you ever been in those places? I think of the, the old country song, is it Don Williams? Oh, Lord, I hope this day is good. I'm feeling lonely and misunderstood. I should be grateful, Lord, I know I should. Oh, Lord, I hope this day is good. Christians, we know we're supposed to be grateful, but sometimes we just go, Lord, I just hope this day, I know I should be grateful. Lord, help. I entreat you, I beg you, I seek 
after you before we step out. You know, the, the guys uh, on Wednesday, we had a great strategy meeting and, and prayer about a new vision and a new a dream for the men's ministry. And we had just great ideas and thoughts before. Guys, the first thing that we need to do is we need to entreat the Lord for his heart. Before we cross any desert of ministry, we need to say, God, help. There's power in the spoken word. There's power in prayer. There's power in humility. And that seems really hard, and sometimes that seems almost impossible. Is it even humanly possible? Here's an example of a human. They did a lot of proclamation. His man, this man's name is, uh, he did a lot of fasting, a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking. His name's John G. Patton. Maybe some of you know about John G. Church history is wonderful, especially the biographies. He was born in 1824 and he died in 1907. He was a Scottish missionary for 49 years. John was the oldest of 11 children and uh, they were descendants of the uh, Scottish Protestant martyrs. When the Reformation swept across Europe, when it came into the United Kingdom islands, it came up into Scotland, and uh, there, were, there were Protestants that stood up and said, I will die for the truth of God's word. And he was a direct descendant of those people. His family, the Pattons, were direct descendants of those people. And his father was named James. And uh, he just puts me to shame. He just said the, the way that he, that he had devotions with his 11 children, they said the devotions were never boring at the Patton household. They were so close, Father James and John, that when he finally became of age, he was ready to go off to school. And he says that he and his father walked for about six miles without well, they were talking, and then he said the last mile and a half, they just stopped and were silent. And the father looked at John and said, Son, don't forget the God of your father. James said that he uh, turned around and started walking until he went over a little hill. He came around and came up on a rise, and he kind of peeked over the edge of a hill. And he saw his dad standing there. He said his dad always took his hat off when he prayed. And his hat was off as he just stood, looking into the distance. Well, John Patton was an urban missionary in Glasgow, Scotland, in age, from age 23 to 34, uh, he's very successful in urban ministry. They said that daily gatherings of 600 to 700 people would attend his Bible studies in Glasgow, Scotland, back in the 1800s. And then he heard from the Lord in prayer a call to the South Sea Islands. Middle of the 1800s. No technology. Ships. No telephones. No telegraph thousands of miles south of Hawaii, kind of down, triangulated from Australia and Hawaii, down in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They had been very, uh, had not interacted with the gospel at all. And the islands that he was, he was uh, being called to were literal cannibals. The uh, first missionaries arrived in 1839, and you ready for this? Kids are not in the room, right? 
John Williams and James Harris got off the ship alone onto the island. And as the ship waited to see what would happen, the natives came up and within minutes clubbed them, cooked them, and ate them while the men on the ship watched. Charles Spurgeon called John Patton king of the cannibals, king of the savages. And when he declared that he was going to leave his urban ministry in Scotland and he was going to go almost alone down to the Pacific Ocean Islands, he met with great criticism from many friends and leaders in the church. One man called Mr. Dixon said, you'll be eaten by cannibals. John Dixon was something that you would like. If you want to get his autobiography, I just started studying it. It's like an action-adventure terror uh, book. Listen to what he said to Mr. Dixon. He wrote this back. After saying you'll be eaten by cannibals, Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be lain in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body, I will rise as fair as yours in my body in the likeness of our dear risen Redeemer. Can we make a choice whether we'd be eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms? That kind of gives me courage as I start, and kind of crushes me as I start thinking about my Monday morning vocational responsibilities. Does that encourage you or does that discourage you to think that there's someone that can make a proclamation, that can step out in prayer, that can say, I want to minister so much that I'm convicted that I have prayed and I will go and I will serve the Lord even if it means being eaten alive or eaten by cannibals. How do we respond to something like that. How do we, Ezra was in the same place. They were risking their lives to go back to Jerusalem. Don't try it in your flesh. The four A's. Acknowledge the truth of God's word. Admit where you fail. Admire how Jesus never does fail. And advance in faith. Acknowledge that God wants you to experience his joy in worship. Admit, I can't, I can't do this, Lord. I, I, you ever go to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm sorry about my prayer life. I'm sorry, I, it's been years since I've really fasted. Just take it to him. Be honest. Just acknowledge, Lord, I know you call me to these things. And I admit, I fail. I fail. And then admire how that Jesus never did fail. He prayed perfectly in his life. He fasted perfectly in his life. And it wasn't just a historical figure. It was all an atonement. He lived the life we should have lived. He did it in our place. And then, knowing that we are secure in the Father when our prayer life falters and when our fasting falters and we have struggled with pride and we need to be more humble and we don't start ministry out the way God calls us to, we can say, but Lord, I know this, I am in you. 
because the Bible also says that those who trust in him are in Christ and we get the credit for how he lived. And to know that the God of the universe is good to us and he wants us to have joy. When we know that, on my bad days, on my prayerless times, in my seasons where I'm far away from joy, there is a heart of God that says, I love you. I'm for you. Come to me. I'm not going to reject you. We can work together and Jesus promised, I'll give you my power and I'll give you my presence. Step one, proclaim. Proclaim. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start humbling myself. I'm going to launch out the way God asked me to do. That's step one. Step two is prepare. Ezra 8, 24 through 28, it says that Ezra set apart the people and the vessels. And I'll read the passage. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and the 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present a present had offered. I weighed out into their hand 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, bowls of gold worth 1,000 dariacs and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said, listen, he set them apart. And he said, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy, and the silver and gold are free will off, are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. What's the next step that Ezra did after he humbled himself in prayer? He says, it's time to get things straight. It's time to say, we're going to, when the, the word set apart is actually the word sanctify. Are there things were there things where they were right now? We're saying, this is special. You are special. We're going to set you apart for a special holy purpose. If you want to move forward seeking joy and worship with the Lord, the first thing you need to do is say, this is holy. This is a holy mission. This is a holy cause. And this is a holy way of approaching our God. They had gold vessels. They weren't just regular pots and pans. These were special devices that God said, this is how you worship me. How does this apply to us in, in, in the church? God told us the way to worship, and we need to make those things set apart. We need to set these things apart. Maybe we need to look at our schedule. Maybe we need to look at our habits. Maybe we need to look at our personal weaknesses. Maybe we need to check our assumptions. Maybe even go down and say, how do I really believe about things? This is a process of life long change. It's called the process of sanctification. Hebrews 10 says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you feel far away from joy in worship, know this. God is sanctifying you. He is purging out the things that are holding you back from his heart. 
We've said this before, but no thing of worth happens on a vacation. Nothing of value happens when everything's easy. It's through the fire that the gold is purified. Do you feel sometimes that you're right in the middle of a fire? Maybe you've been in the fire so long that you feel tired. I'm in the fire and I'm wore out. How do I get back to my God? Is it humanly possible to get close to God? Let's go back to the life of John G. Patton and see what can happen to a man following the Lord by faith. He left Scotland. 1858 was a big year for John G. Patton. He was ordained in the Reformed Presbyterian Network denomination. He married Mary Ann Robson. And right after they arrived on the island, they had a baby on February 12th. 1859. They named him Peter Robert Robson after his wife's dad. Okay, whoa. Can you imagine in the 1800s, no cell phones, three-month travel from Scotland on one hemisphere, they went down to Australia in another hemisphere, they regrouped, and then they headed out to the South Sea Islands. He went to Tanna, Island. It was a small island, just a few feet wide and a, or a few miles wide and a few miles long. And they got off alone. No telegraph, no doctor. And he said the joy of the Lord overwhelmed them with the opportunities to evangelize the cannibals. But sadly, his wife came down with fever. And in four months, she died. And he said, there are not words to describe the horror and the pain that I felt and the loneliness on that island that I felt as I dug the grave myself. And they were cannibals, so he had to protect the grave so she wouldn't be stolen, her body wouldn't be taken. And there he was with a brand new baby, which died a week later. When word got back to Mary's parents, the grief was so strong, they never recovered and eventually both passed away from grief. John Patton had the same fever his wife did 14 times with no doctors. He didn't die, he lived a long life. As he started his ministry alone, there was a wild cannibal chief that followed him every day with a loaded musket that would level it at him, threatening to shoot him and eat him. John Patton says, I kindly spoke to him each day until he went away. He said the problem that they had so much with the, with the people on the island is that white traders came and they spread measles. And when the work started, there were estimated 170,000 natives on the islands of Vanuatu. Uh, um, and then after about 15 to 20 years, they were down to 70,000. 100,000 of them died from measles, which the white traders often uh, spread intentionally. They would give infected blankets to the natives or bring them to the ship and put them with people that had measles in the hold and then let them go back into the island and it would just spread like wildfire and wipe out the population. That was the attitude that white men gave or the picture that white men gave as he showed up saying, I'm not like them. 
One day he was surrounded by armed men. He knew he would die. They were armed with muskets and machetes. He stopped, he prayed, and he calmly spoke of the unkind treatment that they gave me and how I had been so good to them. Uh, he went up to them and he would grab the barrel of the musket and hold it up into the sky, up into the air, while he exhorted them to stop being so unkind. One of the chiefs, by the way, Patton learned their language and he was able to translate, says, um, we see what you're saying, and this is what he quoted after he had been exhorted. Our conduct has been bad, but now we will fight for you and kill all who hate you. So they were going to shoot him, now they're going to shoot his enemies. It's chaos. He even went and helped the enemies when they were sick. The enemies wanted to attack him when they were well, but when they are sick, they called for the missionary to come and give him their medicine. And One time he came into one of the huts, and there he laid on the ground, and uh, when he got close enough to him, it was an ambush, and he threw back the blanket, and he took a knife and, and put it to the chest of, of, of John Patton. And he said, I passed in and out of consciousness about five times and prayed to Jesus. And it made the, the guy so mad that he just took the knife and stabbed it into a sugarcane stock and said, get out of here. John ran. Does that encourage you or discourage you? How can I relate to some superhero like this? How can we prepare our hearts and minister and have such a burden for a, a completely unholy mission field and go in and say, I want to sanctify this. I want to set this apart. I want to make the holy holy. I want to stop the cannibalism. I want to bring the gospel to these people, even if they want to threaten to kill me. How can we have that power? Number one, acknowledge God wants us to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. Number two, admit we're not. Number three, admire how Jesus was perfectly holy in all that he did. It says, as a lamb without spot or blemish, he was sacrificed for us. Jesus is holy for us. And now God looks at us without spot or blemish. And when I falter and when my faith is weak, he says, but you're in my son and I love you. Then by faith, we can advance. And when we fall, go back to step one. Admit, acknowledge, admit, admire. Number two, prepare. Prepare your life. Prepare your plans. Prepare your schedule. Get ready to move forward with Jesus in the kingdom. Step three, protect. Ezra 8, 29 through 34. Guard the gold and guard the vessels. I read in verse 29, it says, uh, he said to the men after he set them apart, he said, guard them and keep them until you weigh them. Talking about the vessels. Guard the vessels, keep the vessels, and then weigh the vessels when we get there before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. Where are they headed? What's their purpose? What are they going to cross the desert for? They're going for the house of the Lord, and we're going to guard the precious objects of worship for our God. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight 
of the silver and gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Then we departed. Do you hear the plan? We have a good vision. We have our hearts right. Now we need a three-step plan. Guard the vessels. Keep the vessels. And when we get there, weigh the vessels. You have a three-step plan? Execute the plan. We departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And how did it go? Imagine. Middle Eastern environment. Camels, donkeys, whatever. Sand, wind. Hundreds of miles, where did they get water? Where did they get food? Oh God, are you with us? The hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem and there we remained for three days. They made it. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Jozabad the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah the son of, uh, I didn't practice the words, uh, what is it, Benoi? The whole was counted, the whole, did somebody steal some on the way? Remember the other story where some of the stuff was stolen? Anything get lost? Did they reach their goal? The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. They made it to the house of worship, and they weighed it out. Not a thing was lost. They were protected from their enemies. They were protected from their ambushes, and when they got there, they weighed it all out, and they entered into the house of the Lord. Church, do you want to enter into the house of the Lord? Are you tired of feeling tired and cold and far from God? I'm not saying that you are, but I think we all know we live a both-and life, don't we? We can feel the joy of the Lord, but it seems like we're kind of like John Patton, where everywhere we go, we've got this guy pointing a gun at our head. You ever feel like that? Like, Lord, I remember... Your city of peace. I remember times of close worship. And now I feel like I'm in exile, far, far away with a desert between me and your heart. Oh God, help me, humble me, prepare me, protect me. And they protected them on the way. Do you have enemies, guys? You ever been ambushed? You ever had a pretty good day and then you get a phone call and it was just like an ambush from the side? It's like, come on. You ever get bold enough to say, I smell sulfur. I smell the flames of hell on that ambush. I know exactly where that comes from. That's from the devil himself. You ever been hit by a fiery dart? Yeah, yeah, it hurts. Smells horrible, like the pit of hell. And you go, really? We have enemies, don't we? We get ambushed, don't we? God says there's a way of escape, and I'll show you how one of my servants did it. Humble yourselves. Proclaim a fast. Proclaim I'm going to seek my God before I go. And then prepare your day and say, Lord, 
I'm going to look at my schedule. I'm going to look at my priorities. I'm going to look at my doctrine. I'm going to look at everything before you, Lord. I'm going to separate the good from the bad and say, Lord, get rid of the bad. I want vessels holy for your worship. Guard it. Guard it. He said, guard them. How about this with the plan? You ever seen those boxing videos where the guy just gets clocked? I watch those way too much. Uh, and you see the ones where they say uh, when uh, arrogant fighters get knocked out and you get these guys coming in and they say the first thing you have to do is that, I don't know anything about boxing, but boxers are so fast that if you do this, you can't see it coming. Your reflexes aren't fast enough to block it on some punches. They're so fast. Just keep them up all the time. Get your guard up. But then it says, keep them, guard them and keep them. So as they're on their way, don't let your guard down. And you've seen those cocky fighters that they, they start seeing that they're winning the boxing match and they're way ahead and maybe they've knocked the guy down and they start making faces at the guy and putting their hands down like this and all of a sudden, wham, he just falls like a two by four. You're like, yeah. Don't let your guard down. God has given you the precious opportunity to worship with his holy vessels. Guard it. Keep your guard up. Take it before your Lord and say, Lord, weigh it. I give it to you. God protected them. I believe this. If you set your heart upon worshiping your God and protecting what's the most holy and important thing in your life, God will protect you. Does that mean you're going to have an easy day or you might not have cannibals? No, but for any child of God that says, I want to get close to my God, he will help you do it. He will protect you. One of my favorite passages about this is Romans 12 that says, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Back then, they had sacrifices of dead animals. Now our lives are a living sacrifice to God. How are you living your life? Well, church, Donnie, are you seeking holiness? Are you seeking acceptability to God? Are you seeking spiritual worship? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does it mean to set things apart? Go to Christ and say, renew my mind, renew my thinking, renew my habits, renew my weaknesses, help. I don't know, whenever I get these directives, I just get discouraged. <laughs> like, I have so long to go. So read about an amazing missionary. There's something else that uh, John Patton did. After the work on this Tana Island, where he buried his wife and his baby and was threatened daily, uh, four years, there was no real fruit. Three or four conversions after four years. He went uh, back to Scotland and on tour there, as he got reassigned, the people criticized him. The Christians criticized him and said, you should have stayed at your post until death. You wimped out. 
he went back to another island. He is re reassigned to another island in, in uh, Vanuatu, just a few miles away, and labored there for 15 years. And the whole island came to Jesus. Thousands of conversions happened. Cannibals turned to Christ. And to this day, they say an estimated 80% of the peoples of the island of Anatuatu attend church every Sunday. Most of them Presbyterian. After he left the islands, he went on a missionary um, evangelism crusade all across Australia saying, people, come to the islands. God's power is good enough, to, is, is able enough to save cannibals. He can do amazing works. Come be a missionary. It worked for me. It can work for you. And he went all over Australia and he went all over uh, the United States, up the California coast, over to New York City, throughout the United Kingdom, and thousands of people joined the mission. It's amazing what happens when say, I will, I will follow my God. And finally, verses 35 and 36, Ezra, back in the Bible, experienced joy-filled worship. And our verse that we read was, at that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls, 96 rams, 77 lambs, a sin offering for 12 male goats, all this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. They made it. John Patton made it. People can make it. We can make it. We're going to make it. We're going to go through the enemies and we're going to handle the ambushes because our hearts are before the Lord and we're going to say we are going to shoot after what's holy and we're going to go across the desert until we make it. You are evidence right now that we have already made it. Why are you here this morning? This is the worship of God to hear a group of people say, God, you're so good. Think about your life 10 years ago. Would you sing that? You've been set apart. You've been processed and filtered. You've gone through the fire. Now you shine. How do we return to joy-filled worship? End with these four steps. Number one, acknowledge God is calling you to worship him. He wants you to be happy. Your God's so good, he wants you to feel adoration. He wants you to feel love, joy, and exaltation. He calls you to proclaim a fast, to pray and to seek his heart. Acknowledge that God wants you to prepare your heart and get ready for the journey. And he calls you, do what it takes to protect what is holy. To your God. Acknowledge that. Just acknowledge it. And then admit, I have failed. You ever gone to prayer and you try to not admit the truth? Just say, Lord, my worship is cold. Lord, too often my mouth is silent. 
Dear Lord, I lack preparation. Dear Lord, I admit it. I've let my guard down and the enemy has knocked me out cold. I admit it. Now what? Admire the one that never lost a round. Jesus has succeeded in proclaiming. Jesus has succeeded in preparing. Jesus has succeeded in every requirement and he did it for you and by faith you receive credit for what Jesus has done. He perfectly still now, he says, does Jesus pray? He calls us to pray. Does Jesus pray? He ever lives to make intercession for you. When we're asleep and we haven't awoken in the morning, Jesus is going, oh Lord, bless Kimmy. Oh Father, bless Jen. Oh, the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son commune together and say, be with Eileen, be with our people. He prays for you, Ryan. He prays for you, Trevor. He prays for you, Charity. He's for you. And he prays perfectly for you. Not only did he pray perfectly when he lived, he can ever lives to make intercession for you. He's Jesus, the winner, the Savior, the Alpha, the Omega, the one that never dropped the ball, the one that never lost a fight. And Jesus prepared everything. He says that his body was prepared for him. When Christ came into this world, he said, sacrifices and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus has a body prepared, a holy sacrifice. He laid down his body in place of what you deserved. Perfectly holy, perfectly sinless, perfectly spotless, perfectly prepared, perfectly sanctified. And Jesus protects you. At the end of his earthly ministry, in the Gospel of John, as he prays to the Father about his twelve and about all people, all of his children, he says, Father, I have not lost one. Jesus guards you. Jesus protects you. And Jesus never loses you. And finally, can you now have the power of the cross to advance? Can you have the power of the blood to move forward? Can we step out in faith and know this? Now that I know he lives, that the Holy Spirit helps by faith, we can make our little proclamation. As we hear his proclamation ring throughout the universe, we can have our little preparation, though we falter. As we say, he was perfectly prepared and sanctified and holy. And now we can protect our lives and our special vessels and this church and your business and your family and your marriage and your future hopes and dreams. Lay them before the Lord. And you can step by step draw near to God again. And you can return, just like Ezra, to joy-filled worship. Thanks for listening, guys. I love you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.